0: Welcome to the Central Baptist Church podcast. Located in the heart of Victoria, BC, we are a church that seeks to renew our community through the gospel. For more information, visit CentralBaptistChurch.ca.
1: Our scripture reading today is found in Ephesians six verses ten to twenty. Ephesians six ten to twenty. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Please be seated.
0: We are doing a series on what's called the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. And what's great about this whole passage in Ephesians 6 is that it really helps to pull back the veil and help us to understand why following Christ can often be so hard, why things are so often bad in this world. And the Bible has many answers. This is not its only answer, but the answer we've been learning in the last few weeks is that there is an unseen realm. An unseen realm where there are good spiritual beings that we call angels. But there are also evil spiritual powers. And these spiritual powers are behind many of the difficult things that we face in life. Many of our struggles. It's hard to pinpoint exactly what that means. Exactly what that looks like at times. But Paul makes it crystal clear in this passage that we are in a battle. But even better, what he shows us is God has given us armor. Armor. Armor to wear in this battle. Armor that if we put it on can enable us to withstand any attacks that come our way. To stand firm in this world as we seek to follow Christ. And so today we now come to the second piece of armor that Paul talks about and that he calls us to put on. Here's what he writes in verse 14. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, looked at that last week, and now today, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, I want to get right into this, but we got to do a bunch of background work to make sure we understand just this phrase in order to then eventually apply it to ourselves. So let's do a bunch of background work first, and then we'll talk about four things this morning. First of all, we got to learn what a breastplate is. You remember that the Apostle Paul here is using uh, a Roman soldier, a fully armed Roman soldier as the metaphor for us. So here's an example, a picture of what a Roman soldier's breastplate looks like. I think we've all seen this. We know what it looks like, various versions of it throughout history. You can see it comes right from your neck and it goes pretty far down, like right down to your lower abdomen. And of course, that becomes very important when you're in battle because it's covering your vital organs, your lungs, your heart, and of course, down in your gut. It's not a good thing if you're in battle and you get your arm cut off. That's terrible, but likely you will live. But if you get a sword through the chest or through your gut, most likely you're done for. The most important thing then in battle is to cover your core more than anything else. Now for the ancient person, ancient people and when Paul is writing this, the core is not just your organs. Here's what he means by this. Ancient people and we today often use our core, our heart or our gut so to speak to use it metaphorically. So if, for instance, I say to you, I love my family with all my heart. You know what I mean by that. You know you don't you don't think to yourself. Well, your heart's an organ pumping blood. You don't love with your heart. You know, no one gets that literal, right? You know what I mean. Or if I say uh, I, I've just got this gut feeling about that, you don't think. Your feelings aren't in your gut. That's not what your feelings are. No one, no one gets that literal. You know exactly what I mean when I say that. It was the same for ancient people. They would talk about your feelings, your desires, your passions. They come from the core of who you are. That's where they come from. Just like when we say, I love you with all my heart. It's from, what I'm saying is from the core of my being, I love you or I love my family. This is the sense that Paul's getting at. And what he's saying here is that there is an unseen realm. And in this unseen realm, there are evil spiritual powers, and they are seeking to drive their swords through the core of who you are. Through your deepest feelings, your deepest desires, your deepest passions, they are seeking to attack you in the core of who you are, because if they can get you to feel discouraged or fall into despair about who you are, about your relationships and especially in your relationship with God, you're done. Just like if you get a sword through the gut in battle, you're done. If you take it to the core of who you are, you're gonna fall in the fight. And what Paul says though is God has provided a specific piece of armor that is meant to cover your core from the neck right down. It's meant to cover your most vital organs. It's called the breastplate of righteousness. And what he says is, if you put this on, you will be able to withstand any of the attacks within this unseen realm. So now, if we're going to see our great need for this piece of armor, if we're going to then be motivated to put it on, because that's what Paul's trying to get us to do, now we need to define not just what a breastplate is, but what this word righteousness means? I think we got to do that because this is not a common word we use. I was trying to think of ways. To, how do we use this in our culture? Well, I thought of like surfer guys who are like righteous dude. That has nothing to do with it. Not literally nothing. I don't even know why this. There's nothing to do with it. There is a way that we do use it, which is the negative emphasis, and sort of makes sense when we call. We say that that person is so self righteous. That's one way we'd use it, and negatively speaking, that's going to make sense, but that's about the only real ways that we use it in our culture. So I almost need to just begin from the ground and build up to make sure we get this biblical concept. It's not hard to grasp, but we've got to be really clear on it. In the Bible, righteousness has a twofold sense. First of all, it means that you have been examined and you've passed the test. There's a standard, you've been examined by that standard, and you've passed the test. But there's an extra element to it. It also means to be right with someone relationally, so that they approve of you and you are welcomed into relationship with them. That is why in English, this, this word righteousness often falls so short, because we don't usually think of it in a relational sense. Though, if you call someone self-righteous, usually means you don't want a relationship with them. They failed the test in your mind. So that's why maybe it works negatively. So put these two things together then. Righteousness means you've been examined according to a standard. You've passed the test. And because you passed the test, you get to move into a relationship. You've got someone's favor and you get a relationship. So let's just illustrate this for a moment. We all know what it means to be examined according to a standard. If, like me, maybe you grew up uh, taking music exams, uh, th- those were terrifying times for me. Music, piano exams, Royal Conservatory. Whoo, man, lots of pain and sweat with all that. There was a standard. And you had to pass, if you could pass the standard, then you got the grade and you passed, right? We all, of course, know what this means in school. We all went to school. You know what it means? You've got a test. There's a standard. There's a right answer and a wrong answer. If you pass the test, it means you've met the standard. That's what righteousness means on the one hand. But now, don't miss the relational side to it. This is really, really important. Think now, for instance, totally differently. Think of another test that we pass relationally. Think of, for instance, the woman who just said yes to the man kneeling in front of her with the diamond ring. What is she saying when she says yes? She is implicitly saying you pass all the tests that I am looking for in a husband, therefore I'm going to say yes. Now she never says it like that. That was just not the right thing to say. But that is exactly what she's saying. And quite frankly, he's saying the same thing. He would have not have got down on his knee before her if he didn't think that this woman has passed all the tests that he thinks he should have in a great wife. And so what both of them are saying is, You've passed the test in my mind for what a husband or a wife should be for me. And I am now saying to you that since you passed that test, I want to enter into the deepest possible relationship there is with you. I want this relationship. That's what you're saying. So in a sense, again, never going to say this. Gentlemen, don't try this if you're going to ask a girl to marry you. But what you're really saying is you are righteous in my eyes. You are righteous. You've met the standard, and I want this relationship with you. So to be righteous with God then means you've been examined by God, you've met the standard, you've passed the test, and God wants the deepest possible relationship to know you and be in relationship with you. So that's the background of what we mean by a breastplate. That's what we mean by righteousness. And now what I want to do is apply all this and talk about four things. In the first place, let's talk about our great need for a breastplate that can cover us. Our need for it. I want to show us our need in order that then we'll eventually put it on. Paul's saying you need it, but why? Well, to put it simply, you and I need a breastplate of righteousness to cover the deep flaws and the sin within us. We need something to cover our unrighteousness where we haven't passed the test. We know we've not met the standard. And we all know this, for instance, let's begin here again at a very basic level. We all know that we have flaws within us. Let's just start with flaws instead of sins. Okay, we can start with that. We all get it and we all seek to cover them. So just think on a very basic level again. You've been asked on a date or you asked someone on a date. Some of you, this is a long time ago, so you got to reach deep for this one, okay? You'll get it, though. You're out on a date with someone. You're about to go on a date with someone, and what do you do? You want to become righteous in their sight, and of course, what we mean by that is you'll pass their test, and you can have a relationship with them. You're testing all this out with them, and so what do you do before you go on a date? You seek to make yourself righteous. You seek to cover your flaws, So the ladies, you put on some makeup, cover over any of those. I'm not going to say you have flaws, but you think you have flaws. (laughs) So you decide for yourself why you put makeup on. I'm not going there. The men, let's say the men now. I won't say this about the ladies. You put on certain clothes to maybe cover parts of your body that you don't think are that flattering. You look good in that shirt or something, right? You put it on to cover over some flaws. And of course, we all cover over flaws in our personality. So maybe you're the kind of person who talks too much. And before before the date, you're thinking to yourself, okay, make sure you listen well. Make sure you ask questions. You run through some questions in your mind. Or maybe you're the kind of person who doesn't talk enough. And you're saying, that's a flaw in my personality. I don't want to come across as if I'm just totally quiet and never say anything so remind myself put yourself out there ask some questions and you, you start getting all what, what are you doing in all that you're seeking to cover your flaws because you want to be able to pass a test you want to be able to have a relationship you want to be presentable and what the Bible teaches is on a far deeper level all of our covering is covering over that deep sense of unrighteousness within us it goes way back to the beginning. When God created Adam and Eve, they, were, they lived perfectly up to God's standards. They passed the test. They were righteous. They had nothing to be ashamed of. Outwardly, they didn't have to cover up any flaws. And so we read in the garden, they were naked and unashamed. Didn't need any covering at all. No shame. But that all changed one day when they rebelled against God and broke his law. And what was the first thing that happened? Their eyes became opened And they saw that they were naked, and they tried then, their efforts now were, they felt shame, and so they took fig leaves, which are these kind of giant green leaves, and sewed them together to try to cover themselves, which if you think about it, it's just kind of ridiculous. I mean, like, it would have been really, that's drafty underwear, let's be honest. And you're going to tear it really quick. You better not move too fast, sit down too quick, it's just going to tear. But this is, this is the efforts at covering, covering themselves with fig leaves. And then also when God comes into the garden, they hide themselves, which is another form of covering, cover behind the bushes so we can hide because what's really going on? It's not really about the bushes. It's not really about the fig leaves. It's about covering up the deep sense of unrighteousness that they feel within themselves. Now listen, ever since that day, we've all been sowing fig leaves together. To try to cover ourselves and our flaws. We've all been doing this. Or so to change the language to Ephesians 6, we try to put on breastplates. To make our own breastplates to cover us. We desperately want something to cover over our flaws. Over our, that inner sense of unrighteousness that we feel. Because when we're really honest, we know deep within ourselves that we are not presentable. There's things about us that are wrong. And so we need to cover those over. We know that if others could just read our thoughts, our true thoughts, we'd be in big trouble. And then one of the scariest verses in the Bible probably is Ephesians 4.13 that says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So in the first place, what I'm trying to say is we all have a great need for a breastplate that could adequately cover us. Something that could somehow cover our deep failures so that we could actually be approved, not just in the eyes of ourselves in a psychological sense, with others, and of course ultimately with God. That is our great need for a breastplate that can cover Now, think with me in the second place about the breastplates we make that cannot cover us. Our attempts to make breastplates, or we could say fig leaves, that we make, but that they don't actually adequately cover us. And so I want to mention two ways that we do this. The typical kind of secular way, and we can all follow into this, or religious ways. There's two ways, and I'm going to show you both of them do not work at all. Secular people try to put on all kinds of breastplates to try to deal with that inner sense of unacceptability, unrighteousness, if you will. So for instance, I mean, on a very basic level, some people just put all their, their focus on their outward appearance. If I can look really well outwardly, that could cover over kind of what's going maybe on inside. I'll look good to the world. Uh, everybody really does this on another level. We try to build up our career success, our, our status before others so we can look good from all of our achievements and all of of our career stuff, and then maybe we'll look acceptable and be presentable towards other people. But of course, all these are nothing more than fig leaves. They're nothing more than paper breastplates. They don't actually cover, we all know it. I mean, your your outward appearance, you may put all that focus on it for years. All of us, our looks will fade over time. We know that's that's putting on a fig leaf. Same with all of your career successes and everything else. It does, it does cover to a certain degree. It may get you reputations, but we all know deep inside, there's something missing. There's something that's not there, and your status can just blow away like the wind. Probably one of the best illustrations of this does not come from the Lord of the Rings. Okay? So... I know like 90% of you quoted the, the movie with the first week and you love it, but not everybody does. Let's just be honest, okay? So I've done a bunch of those. Now we'll shift away. I won't do any more of the rings, more of those for the rest of the series for those who don't like it. We'll do some other ones. So here's, here's one of the greatest movies of all time, getting quite old now, but especially those of you who are older will know it Chariots of Fire. Do you want to sing the theme theme song together, anybody? No, we don't need to do that right now. Remember Mr. Bean in the Olympics when they did that in 2010? That was one of the greatest sketches of all time. This has nothing to do with the sermon. Go watch it on YouTube, all right? (laughs) Back to the sermon. Chariots of Fire is the story of Harold Abrams and Eric Little, and uh, Harold Abrams was the gold uh, gold medalist for the 100-meter dash in the 1924 Olympics, and there's this amazing scene in Chariots of Fire that shows how we all basically do what Harold Abrams did in this this movie that depicts his life, where he's there before the start line. It's a couple hours before the start. Harold Abrams is waiting for the finals of the 100-meter dash, and he tells his friend that he is afraid. And here's what he says I am forever in pursuit, and I don't even know what I'm chasing. And now, in one hour's time, I will be out there again. I will raise my eyes and I will look down that corridor, the corridor of his lane for the 100 meter dash, four feet wide, with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? You see what's going on in that term? He is basing. He's trying to find that sense of meaning to cover over anything else in his life. He will, he will mean something. He will be righteous. He will be approved. If only he can win this race. Ten seconds to justify my whole existence. But you can sense the uh, uncertainty in it all. You can sense it's a fig leaf because he doesn't know if he's going to be able to do it. And it's going to be a lonely time. But his whole sense of self-worth... His sense of righteousness, if you will, is based upon his success in his field of endeavor. Transfer it to your life. If you filled in that sentence, what is it that you're seeking to justify your whole existence with? To make yourself covered so you're presentable, so you feel good about yourself and others approve of you. What is that thing? It's not running the 100 meters, but what is it? For Abrams, that's what he looked to. It was a breastplate that was meant to protect him from that nagging sense of meaninglessness that my life actually counts for something, that I am worth something. That's where he tried to find it. But I think we all know that none of these things, none of these secular ways of trying to cover ourselves work. They're all breastplates that are made of paper. They don't really cover us. They're all fig leaves that just tear and fall off. We keep putting them on, but they don't actually do it. That's the typical secular way. And, of course, many Christians fall into that as well. But the other breastplate I think we try to cover ourselves with is religion. People are often attracted to religion, and the people that are often attracted to it, I mean all world religions, is people who come right away to realize, I am unrighteous. I haven't passed the standard. There is something wrong within me. And i got to figure out how to deal with this. And so where other people might try to say, no, I'm going to try and conquer this feeling that uh, I'm not really unrighteous and I'll build up success and career and all that, other people say, "I, I can't fight that battle. But if I could just do enough good things, if I could just follow enough religious observances, say enough prayers, then maybe I could build up enough of a breastplate that I could wear it and it would be able to protect me. I could cover myself. So people, you know, I'm going to clean up my act. enough of the party life now, I'm going to church, right? I'm going to clean up my life now, I'm going to clean up my language, I'm going to try and follow Jesus' teaching. So you can tell if religion has become your breastplate if you think to yourself, if I just do more, be better, and obey a bit more, then I will be acceptable before God. That is a human-made breastplate It's, of course, the way of the Pharisees in the Bible. If you read about the Pharisees, they were trusting in their own righteousness, is the language of Jesus. They trusted themselves and all the good things that they did, and they were good people, very good people. But it's really just one more fig leaf. It doesn't work. Tim Keller, who's helped me so much to understand this, and I'm borrowing some thoughts from him today, just gives this really great quote. He says, religious people build their sense of worth on their moral and spiritual performance. I like this, as a kind of resume to present before God and the world. That image of a resume is so good. Even so many Christians can fall into this trap relating to God on the basis of our performance. In other words, if I'm doing really well, then I can be acceptable. I can be righteous before God. And this is what all the religions of the world, except for true Christianity, not the religion I'm referring to right now, all the religions of the world, this is what they're doing. Build up a resume so that one day you can give it to God or the gods or whatever, and hopefully you've been good enough, you've done enough, you've obeyed enough, and hopefully that resume will get you the job, so to speak, as in get you eternal life or enlightenment or nirvana or whatever the case may be. But religion is just another inadequate way to try and cover ourselves. It's another fig leaf. It's another paper breastplate. Because you quickly realize, if you really think it through, you never meet the standard of approval. Even if you do a lot of good things and your resume starts to build, there's still the opposite. There's the record of all the things you've done wrong. And of course, the hope of many religions is you'll build the resume up enough that it'll outweigh the things that you've done wrong. But you can never pray enough. You can never be good enough. You can never serve enough. And so you're on this never-ending treadmill of kind of guilt-induced, I have to do more, be better, obey more, and hopefully then one day, I will achieve heaven or nirvana or whatever it may be. So if you rely upon your religious performance, get this now, you will never stand against the attacks of the evil one. Never, because you're always in a losing battle. You might try to put on your breastplate and say, I've done this and I've done this. Let's even say it's got a few pieces of steel on it, but it doesn't cover everything. There's holes all through it. Because the evil, ones can just, the evil one can just come along and put a sword into that gap that says, Yeah, but what about that? Look what you did there. And what about this? What did you do there? You just keep bringing up all your failures. How can you atone for those failures no matter how many good things you've ever done? Unless the good news of Jesus Christ enables you at this point to come in, unless you hear the good news which we're about to get to, unless you hear that, here's what's going to happen to you. You'll be on this never-ending treadmill of guilt, of trying to do more and be better and obey more and clean up your life. And eventually what's going to happen is you won't be able to take it anymore. You're just going to quit the whole thing. It's too hard because it's an impossible task that you're on. It really is. It's like uh, that Greek myth of uh, whatever his name was, has to roll the rock up the hill all the time, and then it comes down. Got to roll it up again. It's a never-ending task, and what so often happens then is people eventually just quit, and they say, well, Christianity just never worked for me. But I want to submit to you, you never understood Christianity at all. What I'm trying to do in this point, I hope you're feeling it, is to drive you to despair. To despair that you could ever achieve your own righteousness. That's why I'm trying to dismantle all the ways that we do this. Are you you feeling any hopelessness? (laughs) I'm not actually trying to be funny. I'm I'm joking. But this is exactly what I'm trying to do right now, is to take all these ways, all these fig leaves we try to put on and tear them off because none of them work. To make a sense, I am unrighteous. Is there any other way? That's what I'm trying to get us to. Is there any other way that I could cover? Because all these coverings that we try, whether secular ways or whether religious ways, none of them work. None of them can give me the resume I need to give to God. None of them can totally cover me. We got to come to the point if we're going to get why the, the gospel is good news. We have to get to the point where we see the bad news. And the bad news is none of these things can cover us. And if you get to that point, now you're ready to hear the best news you'll ever hear. So let's come to the third point now, and it's this. I want to talk about God's breastplate that can fully cover us. We can't create any breastplates that could cover us. Ah, but God has created a breastplate that he's going to give to anyone who wants it for free, and it can adequately cover us. The unique message of Christianity amongst all the religions of the world is there is a way for you to be righteous in God's sight, not by anything you do, but by something that Jesus has done for you. In other words, what you can never do God will do for you in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. We need help from outside ourselves. God must give it to us. And remember, this is God's armor that he gives to us. It's not just armor. It's not even armor that's got God's name on it. No, it's armor that God gives to us. And this is where we are now. So, here's the question then. What is this righteousness that God gives to anyone who wants to receive it? Answer? the righteousness of somebody other than yourself. The righteousness of Jesus. Jesus' perfect righteousness, God gives to you like a breastplate to put on yourself. So, get rid of all your own attempts at making a breastplate and put on his righteousness. Now, let's just dig into this, okay? So, I'm going to keep We're going to go deeper now. Stay with this now. Really important teaching. There's perhaps no other better verse in all the Bible to explain this than 2 Corinthians 5.21. Here's what it says. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, let's unpack that for a second. What this verse is doing and why it's so amazing is that what Paul is doing here is he's pulling back the veil of what happened at the cross. Not just that Jesus died a terrible, terrible, torturous death. That's true. But in the spiritual realm, something was going on. That verse pulls back the curtain so that you can see it. This verse has been called the great exchange. Because what it shows us is that at the cross, an exchange took place. Jesus got something, and in return, we get something. Okay, so first let's see, what does Jesus get at the cross? Answer, he gets our sin and the punishment that comes with it. For our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin, even though Jesus knew no sin. God took our sins and put them upon his son. Jesus voluntarily took our sins upon himself and took the punishment that we deserve. So all that, all those things we were referring to earlier, all those deep ugly flaws within us, those those sins that we have committed that we would not want anyone else to know about or they do know about, were placed upon Christ. He took our sin That's the exchange to him. He takes it, and then he takes the punishment so that our record gets wiped clean. That is good news that we get forgiveness. But the verse does not stop there. To come to God's presence, you don't just need forgiveness. You need to be perfectly righteous. You have to meet the standard. So forgiveness gets you to zero. That's great. The debt's gone. That's fantastic. But you need to also be righteous to come into God's presence. So the exchange goes two ways. Jesus gets our sin and its punishment. What do you and I get in exchange for him getting our sin? Answer, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? It means that just as Jesus got your resume and all that came with it, get this now, you get Jesus' resume and all that comes with it. And what is Jesus' resume? He knew no sin. In other words, throughout his life, he perfectly passed the test. He met the standard of God's law in every single way so that Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life. He earned it. In other words, he's earned the favor of his father. And what he earned, he gives to anyone who wants it for free he lived the life that you and I should have lived and he died the death that we should have died so whenever anybody entrusts themselves to Jesus comes saying Jesus I need you to save me you get this great exchange he takes your sins you get his righteousness that's called a great deal The good news of Christianity is that God will treat those who believe in Jesus as if they had done everything that Jesus has done. So the message of Christianity then, let's listen carefully now, the message of Christianity is not clean up your life and maybe one day God will accept you. That is emphatically not the message of Christianity. That's not good news at all. That's terrible news. I'm in big trouble. No, the good news of Christianity is God will accept anyone who comes to him on the basis of Jesus' righteousness because God looks at Christ's righteousness on you and Christ is fully accepted by the Father. And then when you're accepted, then he begins to clean up your life. That is, that is, is that good news to you? That is hope. Oh man, you can get off the treadmill it's confidence. My unrighteousness is gone. In its place, I get covered in the breastplate of Christ's righteousness. And that's why we sing those famous words, right? Famous words, my hope is built. We're going to sing it in a few minutes. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You've sung that probably many times, but let's just think on it for a second. Why blood and righteousness? That's the 2 Corinthians 5.21. We need his blood because that's him paying the punishment for our sins that we deserve. We need that forgiveness to get to zero. But we need more than just forgiveness. We need righteousness. So my hope is built not just on Jesus' blood. Oh, yes, it is. But it's also on the righteousness that he gives me so that when I stand before God, I can say, God, I'm not righteous in myself, but in Jesus, I'm wearing his righteousness. I am perfectly righteous because of what he has done. So I ask you, do you know this freedom Give up trying to sow fig leaves. Give up trying to make your own breastplates. It's an impossible task. And receive the freedom and the joy that comes from what Christ gives to you, his perfect righteousness. If you want that, all you've got to do is come before Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you to save me. I need you to forgive my sins and I need you to make me righteous so that I am welcomed into the presence of God. And if you pray that, He gives it to you for free. Now, once you're a Christian, once you've done that, you must realize that this is exactly where the dark powers will attack you. This is the core of who you are. They will try to get you to go back to living in this kind of performance-based relationship with God. Maybe to feel like God's always frowning on you, that he's never happy with you at all. And so that's why... The Apostle Paul is saying, you need to put on, regularly, you need to put on the breastplate of Christ's righteousness. Now, in one sense, it's already on because you're covered in Christ's righteousness, but what he's saying is, apply it to yourself. This whole series on the armor of God is really just, apply the good news to all these areas of your life. That's what we're doing. Applying it. And so we need to learn now in the last few minutes, so what I don't want to do is get really practical with you, and show you some ways on how and when You can put on the breastplate of righteousness, okay? So wrap it up with these few things. First of all, put on God's breastplate of righteousness when you feel guilty. So you've committed that sin. You said you'd never do again, and you did it again. You're sensing the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know you need to repent of that, ask Christ's forgiveness. But then the devil, the accuser, comes in and he wants to take that good conviction of the Spirit and just put it into overdrive. And so he comes in, how can you call yourself a Christian? You say you love Christ? People who love Christ do what he says. Clearly you don't love Christ. And how many times have you repented of this? How many times do you think God's going to forgive you of this? The accusing voices come in time and time again. How will you stand against those sword thrusts of accusation when they come to get you? If you're wearing a breastplate of your own righteousness, it's made of paper. And his sword will go right through you. No, in that moment, you don't put on a paper breastplate of your own righteousness. You put on Christ's righteousness. How do you do that? Well, you just say, yeah, I agree. I have sinned. I make no excuse. It was wrong. I should not have done it. I knew better. You're correct. But listen, devil, the basis of my acceptance before God does not rest upon how well I am doing or not doing. The basis of my or my acceptance before God is based upon Christ. And Christ's righteousness is always perfect. It's a, it's a steel, it's a metal breastplate. plate. No sword can pierce it because he lived a perfect life. So my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's how you stand against it. That's why we also sing in the song we sang this morning, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. So if you put on a breastplate like this, the devil's attacks will just go off you. The sword will hit the steel and it will go off. All he can do is try to get your eyes off of Christ. But when you're standing there, remembering Christ's righteousness, putting your hope in his perfection, not your own failings, you'll stand and you won't fall into despair and you'll repent and seek to obey him the next time. Second, Put on Christ's breast, or God's breastplate of righteousness when you feel an excessive need for approval from other people. An excessive need. Of course, there's one sense in which we should care about what other people think to a certain degree. But we all often fall into the idea of basing our whole sense of self-worth upon the approval of others. But what God's breastplate of righteousness does... Is It enables you to break out of that trap where you're so dependent upon other people's affirmations. You're so crushed when they don't like you. And that's just a terrible way to live. But what this does for you, it says, my ultimate approval before God, that's settled. And it's settled because it's on the basis of Christ. And Christ is perfect. His resume is perfect. I am perfectly approved of before God. Not because I'm great, but because of what Christ has done. And when you get that deep down in your soul, when the ultimate approval is taken care of, now you can handle a little bit better the criticisms of others or the difficulties you have in not gaining their approval. That's the second way to put it on and when. Here's the third. Put on God's breastplate of righteousness when your feelings for God are dry. I think the evil one often, I've seen this so many times, he comes in and really attacks Christians in one of their best places because when you come to Christ, you're often so filled with joy or maybe throughout your life you've had moments of great worship and and you felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking to you. You just were walking with the Spirit, walking with God. And it's been times that are great. And then for whatever reason or another, you go through a season where all those feelings dry up. And what I've often seen is this is the moment when the evil one comes in And starts to undermine Christians and says, you know, why don't you feel that way anymore? I mean, maybe it was just all in your head. Perhaps you were never really a Christian at all and you've just deluded yourself this whole time. And now you need to go off to a different path. I've seen this so many times. Now, feelings are important and God gives them to us. But in those moments when your feelings are dry... What you need are hardcore facts. Facts that can cut through any type of subjective feelings. And the facts are that your, listen, your feelings are not your righteousness. How you feel about your relationship with God is not always indicative of exactly what your relationship with God is like. Thank God that's true. Your righteousness before God is based upon Christ and his perfect life and what he's done for you. That's a fact. That was accomplished. That cannot be changed. So, when your feelings are dry, you've got to go back to that. So, the next line in my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness I dare not trust the what? Do you know what? The sweetest frame. Odd phrase. But holy trust rest in Jesus' name. What does it mean by sweetest frame? I wasn't always sure what that meant, but I was reading some other authors who uh, lived at the same time as that hymn was written, and I started through some context to really figure it out. I think what sweetest frame means is sweetest frame of mind, sweetest sense of God's presence. And what what the hymn writer is saying is, I dare not trust even the sweetest moments of worship with God. That's not the basis of why I'm accepted. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. No, no, no. But wholly lean on Jesus' name on what he has done for me. Feelings are great, but that's not my ultimate way I feel it. So in dry times, put on the breastplate of righteousness, say, wait a minute, my feelings are not the basis of my acceptance. They come and go, but Jesus' righteousness abides, and I'm fully accepted on his basis of his righteousness. And here's the last one. Put on God's breastplate of righteousness when you're about to die. Or, you're leading up and you know that time is coming. And I'm assuming here that you have your mind about you, which of course is not always the case. If you're younger, you're thinking, I don't fully maybe know what this means. I've learned this primarily through pastoral ministry and talking with people who are literally on their deathbed or they're approaching those times. And here's what I've observed. Some people, some Christians die like Stephen when he was stoned to death And Stephen, the heavens were open and he saw Christ. And it was like this just moment of great rapture as he was welcomed into the presence of God. Some Christians die that way. Not all. I would say not most. That's only my experience. How What I've noticed is that as people age and then their bodies begin to fail them, They often are spending a lot of time alone because maybe their spouse has passed away. A lot of time in their own minds. And often what happens is they think back over their life. And where I think the evil spiritual powers come in is to remind them of all their failings. So that the word that starts to come to mind would be the word regret regret that I didn't serve Christ this way, regret these sins, regret the relationships I didn't go and make right, regret these things with my spouse or with my kids, so much regret. And so that often the last, I don't know what you say, the last lights that people see as they take the ship into eternity is the lights of regret. And if you read a lot of the great saints and their biographies, their deaths are often difficult. I remember talking with a woman once who her husband died, and it was a terrible death. He did not it, I mean, physically, it was not a great thing. And she was struggling with, if, if he's a Christian, why wouldn't death be easier? And the simple answer to that is, death is our last enemy. that death is always going to be a fight. Now, Christ has won the victory, and every Christian will have the victory, but you might have to go through one final battle. And what I've observed is that it seems like a lot of people in their later years, the battle is in the mind on regrets that they have done, and even right up to the point of death, there's a lot of attacks that are happening. Like if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, which is the great allegory of the Christian life, where two men, Christian and Hopeful, are journeying on this long path to the celestial city, which represents heaven, and the very final thing they must do is cross the river, which is death. Hopeful passes over the river with almost no troubles at all, like Stephen did. Christian sinks. Christian thinks he's lost it all. He thinks God has abandoned him. He's losing all hope in it. But eventually,
1: <clears throat>
0: eventually he'd be able to remember the promises of God, and with his friend Hopeful, he crosses the river. I think a lot of people, we have either Hopeful's experience or maybe we've got Christian's experience, but what we need to then do is, when you're coming to those moments, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Because what you can do then in that moment is you can say even, okay, devil, I'll grant for the sake of argument that my whole life has been wasted. I don't know that it has. I'll let God judge it. But I will, I will even grant it for the sake of the argument. But listen, devil, my acceptance before God does not rest upon what I have done or what I have not done. I rest only on the name of Christ and what he has done for me. So that's why we sing the final verse, which goes like this, when he shall come with trumpet sound, or when you die, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness, notice that word, alone, Not dressed in his righteousness and all the things I've tried to do. No, no, nothing of my own. Grant that my whole life was wasted if that has to be the case. God will judge one day. No, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless. What a word. Faultless stand before the throne. Now that is gospel hope. That is putting on the breastplate of righteousness. So friends, the only breastplate that will cover you is not anything you can make. The only breastplate that will cover you is the one God will give you that Christ earned in living his perfect life and dying in your place. Rest always upon Christ's righteousness. Give up all hope on your own righteousness and look to him for our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Let's pray maybe even right now, you want to have this, you want to be accepted in God's sight, let me just give everyone a moment and you can pray after me if you'd like. Say, Father in heaven, I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins. Please, Jesus, forgive me. And then, Father, I need Christ's righteousness so that I can pass the test based on his righteousness and be accepted by you. Father, give me the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Just pray those words or something like that. Father, I need you to save me through what Christ has done. And if you pray that, he forgives your sins and he gives you the gift of Christ's righteousness, making you fully accepted in his sight. Father, thank you you did not leave us in our sin. Thank you for Christ. Jesus, we praise you for living that life that we never could have lived, that you did. We praise you for dying in our place and taking our sins. We praise you that you would take on this great exchange. It costs you everything. We praise you that you did it for us. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Podcast.